0: Who's out? Pretty gutted about it. A little bit of shock, you know. Who's in? Are the two of you friends? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. One News inside Parliament. And welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories that have been happening here in Parliament for One News. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. And
1: I'm Benedict Collins.
0: And uh, we thought we'd uh, kick it back into the special votes
2: and start off there. So interesting. And just looking at the numbers, I think for lots of us, we thought that the... Euthanasia. I mean, that was a fait accompli, but it was really all eyes on cannabis and what that would mean. It required 70% of people in those special votes to vote yes, and they didn't quite get there.
1: No, but it, it narrowed considerably, right? So you had, I think, before specials it was sitting out at 53, 46, came right in, in the end there was only about 67,000 votes, splitting splitting the two camps. Um, so <clears throat> 1. 406 million New Zealanders voted in favour of legalising cannabis um, and 1.474 um, voted voted against it. So it's going to um, remain illegal pretty much straight away um, as soon as they even got the preliminary results. Um, Andrew Little um, seemed to be coming out there and Justin return as well saying nah, that's it. Um, we're not really making any more um, steps towards decriminalisation or legalisation.
2: And a couple of really interesting points there, I guess. Firstly, the Prime Minister not putting her weight between, behind yes or no, and she she then later admitted she voted yes, uh, and the campaigners are saying, well, perhaps that would have swayed the vote if she would come out publicly and said that. So she chose to keep it a secret and chose to keep it to herself, um, perhaps nervous about what that would mean for people supporting her, and that's where the numbers have fallen. Yeah, nervous about the influence that she may have
0: had. Um, although uh, I recall that in an interview thereafter, revealing her, um, the way in which she voted, she did say that she wouldn't have had that much influence over the way um, people would have voted. So I don't know, there was a bit of well, a was juxtaposition She wasn't sure whether she would
1: have or not, I mm. think she said, um, in answer to one of your questions, one of the stand-ups. You know, Chloe Swarbrook, I think, you know, was... Um, as she said when the uh, earlier on, you know, that she wasn't afraid to um, say what she thought because she's um, had the courage of her convictions and a bit of a swipe there at the Prime Minister for staying silent on this. And it is kind of curious, given Justin in Rodin's comments, you know, at the United Nations around drug reform and the war on drugs and stuff like that, to come back here and, and, and refuse to sort of talk about it.
2: My view is that she didn't think that it would sit very comfortably with some of those perhaps middle age um, middle income earners um, that national uh, sorry that labor was perhaps relying on she wasn 't quite sure how comfortably cannabis would sit with them and rather than she 'd rather take the flack from not saying how she would vote rather than lose support um, and I think it perhaps would have given national a bit of ammunition to say that she to create the perception around that, that perhaps she was loose on drugs and, and loose on crime and that kind of thing. So I think it was a calculated political move that...
1: <coughs> Absolutely, yeah, and not yeah. not willing to risk any political capital on, on taking a stand on this. Yeah. Um, and, and, but one thing that's kind of fascinating is at the same, pretty much at the same time as we got all our um, special votes come in and saw that narrowing, they also, in lots of states in the US, they had um, votes on legalising cannabis. This is the country that brought us the war on drugs, and four states um, voted to legalize cannabis. Others voted for like much more liberal, much looser sort of um, medicinal cannabis regulations. And I think it was Oregon voted to decriminalize all street drugs as well. So you know the United States a lot more progressive in terms of reforming drug law than, than New Zealand. And it, you know and the fa- fascinating thing is we're still going to have this billion dollar cannabis industry in New Zealand, right? It's just not going to be taxed. I wonder if it's the t- green, you know, it's just going to remain underground.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the Green Party will um, do any more work um, this term on furthering the conversation, given the results were so close in that referendum here in New Zealand. I mean, Marama Davidson and um, James Shaw were asked about it um, in the press conference when they were signing up to that cooperation agreement with Labour. Um, Jacinda Ardern, as you mentioned, was quick to rule out sort of any sort of um, further progression of, of that issue. She said, you know, we always said once the people had had their say that was it for us but the Greens said that they hadn't discussed it as a caucus in terms of whether they would follow it through a private members bill Um, so it'll be interesting to see when they have that conversation where they land on that. Has Chloe Swarbrick said anything in terms of a private members bill herself? Well (coughs) well,
1: um, yeah so uh, Chloe Swalbrick talked a bit about decriminalisation right and and it's it's kind of a weird thing to do decriminalize cannabis because you don't take control of the supply chain all you're saying is we're not going to give people convictions which is you know arguably good for those people who would have received convictions um, you know there is a positive there but you don't take control of the supply side so you've still got uh, you know sort of you know the black market growing and supplying and you know selling to whoever they want you don't you haven't regulated the supply. Chain, so that's you know an interesting part of this argument. But another part is, you know, the government's saying, hey, look, you know, the public's voted against legalization, um, and so we're not going to do anything about legalization or decriminalisation. But what the public voted narrowly against was this, you know, cannabis control control bill that they'd put up for, you know, the draft bill that they'd put up there. And you know, one of the key arguments that you saw people going against was. You know that they could have up to 400 stores throughout the country. So, but, but I wonder if you tweaked things, you said, okay, well, we're not going to have stores. We'll only do it online. You know, you'd only have online sales. Would that have got over the line then? You know, in, in terms of public support, well, and we won't know. No, but they didn't vote so much against legalization as against. Uh, this proposed draft cannabis and control and supply. I I see what
2: you're saying, but at the same time, you do have to put it in a box and say, this is what we're voting (laughs) for. I do think it has to be a referendum decision. It's not something, um, I mean, others will disagree, but it's not something that necessarily goes through the political system for them to decide purely. Um, But we are in this interesting position where you've got 50% of people disagreeing with, with um, mm. this, and then another almost fifty percent of it unhappy with where we've landed. So it is the fact that it was so close does make you wonder whether those tweaks around Yeah, whether the you could come up
1: with a slightly different model yeah. that maybe would more people would have been happy with. As I'm sure yeah. you know, a lot of people who might have voted no might have been thinking, um, you know, that they didn't want stores there, or you know, they didn't mm. want it sort of, you know, they might have perceived it being you know sort of in their face, or, or having those problems that we had with the people, you know, selling synthetic cannabis when that was kind of and if legal, you had all, you know, uh, people sort of lying outside, wasted outside shops and stuff like that. My
2: take on it is that people, there wasn't much room in in the media. We had COVID, we had um, all sorts of things happening and there wasn't a whole lot of um, coverage and, and um, debate well, not as much as we would have seen if we hadn't had COVID. And for a lot of people, they didn't take the time to research it. I think a lot of people just thought, "Oh, uh, cannabis, a bit scary. Not sure. Not sure. Think Stick no. With the status quo. Yeah." And I just wonder if there had been a bit more clear air around um, not having all of that COVID coverage. If I mean, and you know, we did a lot of stories on it, no doubt. But if we'd had um, more. Debates, more information, more public advertising, etc., etc. I wonder if some of those things could have changed as well. I but also a- think that's why you know
0: um, people who criticise the prime minister for not revealing her. Um, decision in terms, you know, earlier um, in terms of which way she was going to vote um, is a little bit warranted because, you know, we look to our political leaders on issues like this Mm. for guidance, for those people who who won't take the time out to sort of do their own research and who wants, you know, to hear from someone that perhaps they trust. And so I think it was a bit of a cop out. I do understand why she did it. But on the other hand, too, I can definitely see it as a bit of a cop out as well.
1: Um, And you leave a vacuum there that gets, you know, filled by, You know, uh, uh, other people, right? Mm.
0: But with the numbers so close, I do expect it will come up again in the future. And we've seen that with the other referendum result that we got back as well, end-of-life choice bill that, you know, came up a few times in Parliament, got shot down, they brought it back again, and lo and behold, this time round, it's got across the line. So what numbers um, do you have on those, Benedict?
1: Yeah, so it was 65 um, after the specials came in, you know, it was overwhelming. It was 65% of Kiwis in, in favour of that and about 33 against. Well, it was quite different, though, what we saw with that is You had sort of, you know, like, I sort of think of cannabis similar to that flag referendum, like where, you know, the Labour Party really politicised that f- um, flag referendum and did everything they could to sort of, you know, influence the way people vote and oppose it. And, and then you saw National do the same with the cannabis referendum. Euthanasia is a bit different, right, because you kind of had pockets... Of your more conservative Christian MPs from within Labour and within uh, national opposing and kind of coming out and doing press conferences together opposing that. But at what, you know, David Seymour was really good in the way he sort of kind of got it through in terms of he he didn't have a whole party sort of uh, opposing it or blocking it. You know, he he went to the referendum because that's what Winston Peters wanted. You know, he he negotiated a lot, Mm. made lots of tweaks and changes Mm. to this in order to kind of get it through. Parliament without that big block of opposition.
2: Yeah, he, it was a whole party supporting, it just, it was act whole party of one. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> hey, but, but the, spe- the specials were also yeah, fascinating on other areas, so right, because it kind of changed the, the makeup of Parliament.
2: I'll give you guys a little insight, it was at the press conference and they hand them out to everyone and you get the papers and the journalists are all sitting there in a, in a private room before we do the press conference so we can sort of chat amongst ourselves and it just was like, whoa, Whoa, whoa. As everyone sort of went through the numbers and it was like <coughs> right, um Labour Party losing a seat, National Party um losing winning a seat, sorry, for Labour, national um losing two, the Māori Party getting two and it was just as you went through that release you just got more and more information and it was just there were big changes from the specials. Usually we see little tweaks around the margins, but this was Game-changing stuff.
1: And National lost more electorate seats. You know, one of our yeah. our podcast biggest fans, Matt King, mm. um, the former Denise National Lee MP for well. um, yeah. Northland. Like mm. I think he had about seven hundred vote. seven hundred votes in front before those specials, and he ended up losing the seat by one hundred sixty-three votes, yeah. which is such so a small close. margin.
2: But I, one of the very first, actually, I think it was the first question I asked in the press conference was, uh, "If you do a recount." It, what numbers are we talking about in terms of change? And they said, look, last time we did it in 2014, about 10 to 15 votes changed yeah. if they do a recount. So with 163, it's just not worth it, which was why I was surprised on that night that Matt King said, oh, look, we are going to do a recount, and then a few days later must have investigated further and said, no, look, we, we're going to leave it. And it does make it a bit cleaner for everyone. We can do writ day when we're meant to and, and go to, uh, you know have the official opening of Parliament. When we're meant to as well. But yeah, some big two big Well, John Names. Tamihere doesn't want it clean. He wants the recount, doesn't he? Yeah.
0: Um in, in two electorates. Actually uh, you're absolutely uh, going right. to court, which yeah. is <laughs> which yeah. is um interesting in itself. But that aside, the multi party oh, oh sorry.
1: But they're, but they're not disputing the numbers, right? They're disputing or oh, oh, they're unhappy that people Bias couldn't come in and, and vote in on yeah. come and vote on the Maori and
0: we, role, right and we saw that didn't we because yeah. we did a story um, for one news during the mm. campaign period where we had um, two Maori voters on the Maori roll one down in the South Island one up in Auckland and both of them um, had experiences where the Maori roll either wasn't there or hadn't arrived yet and so on and so forth so there are issues and they're not new issues those issues have been raised in previous elections so you know in, in one sense yeah actually it's probably um, uh, uh, going to be interesting to see um, the type of investigation perhaps that might come about from this um, uh, case by John Tamihere um, but um, we shall see we shall see. Now in terms of the Māori Party yeah, picking up like, two seats, yeah, how interesting and fascinating was that? I mean when those numbers came through to us as well, it was just mind-blowing and um Eru Rere Kura from Te Karere interviewed Debbie ngarewa and actually she hadn't um been told the the the, the um, results <laughs> yet, and <laughs> you know, so, so she's cr- she's <laughs> yeah. crying on the side of the road as she returned back home to Hawera, yeah. going about her business, and you know, they're just in a state of celebration. The Maori Party, they're back, and it's going to um, be good, I think, around Parliament because I said this uh, the other day in, in our story. But um, last term, it really did feel like Labor's Maori MPs, without having the Maori Party here, they really went unchecked in many ways. There wasn't too much sort of, um, you know, holding of account um, by the National Party Maori MPs. Joe Hayes, you know, did her best. Um, Nook, you know, he kind of left halfway through the term. Um, And so, yeah, they kind of went unchecked. So that certainly won't be happening this term. I think we're in for some good stouches in the House.
2: And I think what people have to realise, and and perhaps the people who aren't as, as political geeky as we are, is that, yes, they get two MPs, right, but it's not just the the second MP. So, a you have a buddy. It means you get more questions in the mm. house. It means you get more staff members behind the scenes. It means you get uh, more funding to do the things you need to do. So, although you think, oh, great, now I've got a buddy, it's much more than that. It's the fact that you can share out responsibilities. You can share out portfolios. You can be represented on two select committees um, that are going at the same time. There are really big implications for having an extra MP. On the reverse side, for National losing those two MPs, that means two fewer people for all of those yeah. things as well. And, and that's why it's not... I just always think this is a reminder. Politics is a brutal, brutal game. In what other scenario would you... Hey, here's a job for three years, but in three years we'll see how you're doing, and even if you're doing a good job, you might get voted out. Like, welcome to Parliament. It's tough, and I think that um, you have to give... MPs um, a bit of a pat on the back for being prepared to live like that. And you see Denise Lee and Matt King, um, they're out on the... And also what I thought was really funny is um, Maureen Pugh, when um, she came along, I think it was you did the interview with her and said, oh, you know, how have you been? She's like, well, great, but I've just been... Unpacking because I packed up all my stuff, <laughs> back re- home. Ready to go. Thought I was a goner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she really
0: did think she was a goner. Um, and it was also interesting interviewing um, <clears throat> Denise-, Denise Lee. Um, during her last day here at Parliament, uh, and I asked her whether she thought that, you know, that criticism of Judith Collins and the leaking of that email um, really damaged her and lost her that seat. Um, She, you know, obviously, you know, didn't think that it was and put it down to the the red tsunami, Um, but I asked her if she had any regrets, and she said no, she's just, you know happy about the work that she did over the last three years. And I think people will be sad to see her go. I think I've seen lots of comments about um, her um, performance uh, in the last term and her capabilities, and she certainly seems um, valued um, by those who have interacted with her. So uh, a big loss there, I
2: think. I also think um, one thing that's worth putting a bit of context, and this isn't just for her, but for others as well, this year and this campaign has been pretty grueling. And sometimes um, when you make poor decisions, they, they are just poor decisions. But sending an email under pressure, under campaign um, scenario, I, I mean it's good to hear her say that she doesn't have any regrets, but you know, in the cold hard light <laughs> not of day, even hitting You've got to regret that. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, that's yeah. the context that's the environment that we're operating in. This isn't this isn't cool, calm, rational. This is high pressure, high stakes, yeah. campaign. Campaign delay because it's the second thing. So I just I think it's just worth pointing that out. I do like that guy?
1: Go. You got a problem with your boss, and so you you CC and every single one of your colleagues as well yeah. <laughs> to let them all know. That. Yeah, I, I <laughs> just brave, don't isn't it? reply all <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's yeah. what we're going with. Anything else that we need to point so out with the who's and? You're down and who's
1: to thirty three now, eh? Yeah,
2: thirty uh, three. Thirty
1: three uh, MPs for national. I mean this time last term they had 56 they started off with last yeah. term obviously they lost um, a few along the way um, but yet yeah, starting off with 33 and so their staff they um, you know that the whole um, backroom support sort of for the National Party they get they hemorrhage those staff as well lots of them going as well a lot mm. of your sort of expertise all out the door yeah. um, so it's yeah going to be kind of um, fascinating to see how they hold up this term um, and it, but they're not the um, only party to have Uh, taken a a big hiding in an election, we've got a um, historical track here for you to have a look at.
3: David Cunliffe standing firm in the face of a humiliating defeat.
1: I am the servant of the party and uh, I have uh, every intention of continuing to serve it.
3: But serving up a message, if you want me gone, so be it.
1: And if anybody is interested in uh, standing for the leadership, um, then they should do that through the proper constitutional meeting. Well.
3: Having seen this kind of DVD before, is it's, it's going to get messy his two most likely challenges are former leader David Shearer.
2: That's what I'm not going to talk about today for the simple reason that I don't think it's the right time to be talking about that.
3: And previous leadership contender Grant Robertson. We've
1: got to take some time to reflect on this result and, uh, and that'll include reflecting on everything that we did in the campaign.
3: This was an unmitigated disaster for Labour and the party now looks set to face its third leadership challenge in as many years. MPs say some brutally honest conversations are needed. Two of Labor's only winners on the night have um, ideas for change.
0: I think there's too much uh, factionalisation in the Labour Party that we need to be one team. This is more than just David Cunliffe, uh, it is
1: the whole party that needs to go through a review process.
3: One thing David Cunliffe admits, rolling out a formal deal with the Greens was a bad idea.
1: In hindsight, Um, the progressive forces of politics probably would have got a better outcome if they'd been better coordinated.
3: We put a proposal to present Labour and the Greens as an alternative government. We thought that that would be the best for voters for the country. Um, They decided not to do that. I think that was the wrong decision. But the Labour leaders are no doubt about Kim.com.
1: For anybody to wade into New Zealand politics, spend over $3 million and end up Uh, wiping out his own supporters and damaging the left, I think, is a reprehensible development.
3: And one that's got those on the left of politics shaking their heads.
1: Right, so that was the um, Labour Party, to take a bit of a hiding there under um, David Cunliffe. Hey Ian, but the National Party, um, picking up the pieces this week, they've done another kind of a bit of a reshuffle of their portfolios. What did you guys make of it?
2: So I guess the first interesting thing is that Deputy... Leader of the National Party. So Shane Retty picking up that spot, hanging on to health as well. And it was interesting just seeing his tone and his manner. We're getting something quite different from him as the deputy. So it'll be interesting to see how long that sort of calm, understated, I'm the backroom man, I'm here to support the leader and prop her up. It'll be interesting to see if that... I mean, my reading of him is that that's kind of naturally where he... Sits. So it'll be interesting to see how long that goes. Now, I understand um, doing some digging around that Michael Woodhouse was also considering putting his name forward. Um, we've seen him getting a very nice finance, transport, and deputy shadow leader of the House. So perhaps a little negotiations and at number four. So perhaps a few little negotiations going on there eager to make it a clean transition.
0: Such a big jump for uh, Michael Woodhouse and Andrew Bailey. Those two were the big winners in the National Party reshuffle, jumping up the party list from the mid-teens all the way up to three for Bailey and four for Woodhouse. And both of those two teaming up uh, in finance, uh, Bailey getting revenue, which is Shadow Treasurer, um, and Woodhouse getting finance, going up against Grant Robertson. They're ready for a, for a ruckus. I'm ready for it. Grant Reckons bring it on. I can take on anyone. Or any as the case let's, may let's be, the Grant, showdown. It's well, going to be good.
1: Yeah, I mean, who, who doesn't like a ruckus? But I don't think we're really <laughs> going to get one until 2021. We've got what? Mate, I we're not going to get
0: anything until 2021.
1: I know, and like <laughs> We've barely got any sitting days That's this year, right? There's not going to be much. Uh, is it five sitting days, I think? Which I totally
2: appreciate. But aren't you just a little? No, I'm <laughs> I'm so it's just been the longest year. And <laughs> it,
1: has, it has, but there's not going to be a whole lot going on no. in Parliament in 2020. No, and um, you're
2: absolutely right. No, on I've, behalf I've, of the taxpayers, I'm
0: outraged. I'm just hoping they can get all their maiden speech out of the way uh, this side of oh, Christmas. Oh, they've got to do that. So that yeah. we can get into the ruckus, 42 of them. You know, in the new year. Yeah. No, they won't get through them all. But, no, um, they, oh, well, no,
2: they... Oh, no, I don't think they couple can. couple in February, I think. But they've got to... Let's get the big things ticked off. And then when the House rises on... What is it? The 10th. Oh, that's so. I mean, that's really early compared to other times. Yeah. But and and my outrage journalistically is strong. My inner core thinks, oh, that's quite good. So <laughs> that Bailey, we're finishing quite early. So Bailey and Woodhouse
0: up, and poor Goldsmith getting hammered all the way down the party. Licks yeah. his four billion dollar hole. He was sucked into the abyss of it. That's what I wrote in my script the other day, but it was too long. I had to cut it out. Marcy beautiful Fleming scripting line. <laughs> Paul Goldsmith sucked into the abyss of his $4 billion fiscal hole. That's good. And I don't I know why that didn't Didn't make through. the cut.
2: <laughs> um, the other person I wanted to point out as well, not quite as poetically as Mikey Sherman, um, Christopher Luxon, who's just come from being the um, Air New Zealand chief executive, reasonably large job, um, gets local government, iwi development and associate transport. So um, he'll be trying to dig into those and um, really learn and take advantage of those and try and see what he can um, pick up over the next little while if he is to be the leader in waiting that he's touted to be. Maybe he
0: can help Andrew Little get a deal across the line with Ngāpuhi, a treaty settlement deal, now that he's in the
2: iwi development portfolio. I'd I'd say he could probably do it. You'd (coughs) imagine his negotiation skills are quite... Um, they should be strong. pretty up there,
0: yeah. but um, interesting to see National switch its Maori development portfolio into iwi development, which is what I'm pretty sure that they've done there. Um, and you know, I'm not I, I, I'm I'm not mad about it. I like I like it. It would have been even better if they had put down iwi hapu development, um, because that's the way in which Maori operate just on a iwi hapu basis. But uh, that's just some Maori geekness there for you. <laughs> we're we, we're open with geeks here <laughs> yeah. today. We all have
1: it. A couple of takeaways I thought from the reshuffle. One I thought interesting: um, Chris Bishop, he's been given COVID nineteen response. I mean, that's a huge um, responsibility to take on there. Sort of trying to you know hold the government to account there. That'll be you know interesting to see how he goes there up against it's,
2: Chris Hipkins as well.
1: Yeah, yep. And then you've got Michael Woodhouse, kind of rebounding last year. You know, um, got got himself into a spot of bother over how mm, he handled. Michelle had also given him that um, you know the the private health information. Mm, yeah. of, Unfairly, I
0: thought though, of, that where he got
1: of, of New Zealanders, and, and he didn't report it, mm. you know, to party leadership straight away, and you know he, he was in trouble over that. So he's sort of re- rebounded a bit here. Yeah, those were what yeah. two takeaways? I just think
2: it'll be really interesting, and I think um, I, I think you're right that we perhaps today. I mean, the next few weeks are about sort of solidifying, getting the formalities. Underway, and then 2021 is where we're going to see the ruckus that you talk about.
0: Yeah, Mark Mitchell getting some, uh, you know, undercover brutal slap downs there with his portfolios. I oh, thought. Yeah. I mean, they're not they're not the most glamorous, are they? Public service, state owned enterprises.
2: Oh, state owned enterprises. It's pretty good. Pretty quiet. When's the last time we heard he, anything he about did, those? He um, did. Also, um, on the way into that caucus meeting, say I lobbied for a um fine, you know, a financial portfolio. So um I, I guess um not quite what he was hoping for. Gonna be a big test for
0: um Chris Bishop, I think. COVID's such a big thing that um, you know, it's either make or break for him, I think. But I think for him he's he's like you ferrets away on issues, I think, and we saw that in transport in particular. Yeah. Um so this could be a good opportunity for him to he, he also shine. communicates
2: really well. To shine, yeah, too, and to think, just pick but, yeah. away at those
0: um, quarantine issues and all mm. of those things, you know, leaving health to Dr Shane Ritti. Um And then in terms of um, the quarantine issues, I think he'll be able to ferret away and pick away at
1: that. Yeah, and, it, you know, and if you can raise issues and improve, improve systems and stuff like that, it's yeah. really a really good opportunity. Yeah. What one um, big big story um, that's around this week as well, um, we've got house prices up. Mm. Almost twenty yeah. percent one a year ago. You've got the Reserve Bank about to give twenty-eight billion dollars of money to banks mm. for them to on-lend. You know, with with no restrictions. Give me a mortgage. <coughs> going going into this into the property market. I mean, it's just just incredible what we're seeing at the moment.
2: Yeah, it's it's crazy, and just when we. It was feeling like things were going to turn and flatten out and
1: um, people may be
2: reducing um, the value of their houses by around 10% and you should be prepared for that. Nope, 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 nope. No, middle of
1: a recession and your house prices are going absolutely ballistic. This week also we did a story um, start of the week. A whole lot of organisations... Um, uh, wrote an open letter to Jacinda Ardern, we're talking like Auckland Action Against Poverty, Save the Children, um, the Child Poverty Action Network. More than 50 organisations came together and urged the government to lift benefits before Christmas. You know, uh, sort of big on that heavy welfare. Yeah. yeah, big heavyweights on that welfare um, working report group. Uh, the, the government largely ignored a lot of their recommendations saying you have to do this before Christmas. Um, Jacinda Ardern... Said to us this week, no, no, they've already had $25 a week earlier this year. That was substantial, she said. So in October, 103,000 emergency food grants they gave out to Kiwis who um, didn't have enough to eat. 1.3 million emergency food grants this year. I mean, people just don't have enough money to live on. Yeah. Um, you're giving $28 billion in, out to the banks, you know, and you're refusing to raise benefits. Just yeah. quite incredible.
2: I'm not sure how long that line. Will be able to be held of not raising benefits. I mean, the, their argument at the moment is they did $25 a week extra this year, but I'm not sure how long you can hold the line. So let's see what and, happens. And the opposite next year. argument
1: is that the cost of living just continually rises Absolutely. and outstrips any of that gain, right? Yeah. And so you've, you've got people on, on benefits who are just increasingly worse off, worse off, worse yeah. off. Yeah. And, and that's what you're seeing year. with those emergency yeah. food grants, is sort of what it's like for those on the. Um, yeah.
2: Mm. It's getting reasonably... This is our new studio, (laughs) and I have to say, it's getting reasonably warm in here, so shall we call it... It's a smaller studio, folks. Yeah, it's cosy. And you guys don't know, but we've actually also got... A political sauna. A political sauna. That no one wants to open the door and come it sounds into. Sounds disgusting. There's also there's not just us three in this room. There's actually six of us in this room in total, and it's um it's it's a little cozy. It's a yeah. little cozy. So we
0: shall end it there. This was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Online, and check us out on your favourite podcasting app.